Hi, and welcome to So Story. My name is Jenny, and I live in St. Louis. I studied media production. I'm Christina, I live in New York City, and I studied writing. While our backgrounds in education vaguely qualify us to talk about what we're talking about, the truth is we're really qualified because of how many hours we've binged on Netflix. So many hours. Let's kick it off with some would you rathers. All right, would you rather no longer need to sleep or no longer need to eat? You know, I had this question posed to me a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough one. So I like both of those things. They, I don't see either of them as inconveniences. <laughs> if no longer needing <laughs> to sleep meant no longer being tired, then I would go for that one. Hmm. Honestly, I would go for no longer needing to eat. Because sleeping does not always cost me money. True. Very true. Okay. <laughs> we could go a little bit deeper on that, but we're not gonna. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alright, would you rather... Let me back up, because now that I'm looking at this question, we need a little bit of context. You have the ability to read minds, okay? Okay. You have the ability to read minds, but in this would you rather, you have the ability to either read the thoughts of your friends or read the thoughts of your enemies. Dun, dun, dun. Do I know my enemies are my enemies beforehand? Oh my. Or do I find out by reading their thoughts? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like you never knew until that this suddenly... person was your enemy until all of a sudden you could read their thoughts. Uh, oh no. I think I'd rather honestly know the thoughts of my enemies because I wouldn't want to hear the, the stray bad thoughts of my friends. <laughs> but then maybe you didn't know that someone was your friend until you could all of a sudden read their thoughts. Nah, I know someone's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I just know. I think I would rather hear the thoughts of my friends. Why? Because I think my enemies would probably spend more energy and time focusing on saying negative things about me in their minds. I just don't want to hear it. I don't need it. Okay, there we go. Here's one. Would you rather undo past mistakes or never make another mistake in the future? Oh, never make another, another mistake. The past has happened. It's over. <laughs> yeah, you've learned from your past yeah. mistakes. Yeah. <sighs> but if I have the ability to continue undoing past mistakes... If this is not a one-and-done oh. deal, then I think I might choose to the, the first option, to undo past mistakes and just keep re-upping. I think I'm also coming at this without really... F I don't have a lot of regrets in my life right now of things I would change, mm -hmm. so I'd rather mm -hmm. just not make more mistakes. If there was that, like, something that I felt was would significantly alter someone's, like, well-being or quality of life that I could fix, then maybe I would go for that option. But for me in my current state, I would just not not want to make more mistakes. That's fair. I just thought of something that's completely aside from the would you rathers. So normally we record this podcast remotely. 
One of us is in Central Time Zone, one of us is on the Eastern Time Zone, but today we're both in St. Louis. We are. Oh, it feels really good. Yes, it does. It does. It's a little abnormal. It feels it kind of weird to be looking at you while I'm talking to you. <laughs> I know. You know what's funny is like I've heard this from other podcasts where they really? are, they typically record remotely and then they are they happen to be in the same place and they're like, this is so weird, I have to look at you. Yeah, yeah. I'm used to being hyper engaged orally, orally in my ears. (laughs) I'm used to to listening very intently, but because I'm also looking at you now, I feel like I'm not as engaged in the content as I normally am. I'm like usually hyper focused. Then again, I'm in this tiny little makeshift studio that I put up in my bedroom every so often. Right. It's very, very small. There's and no we, stimulus. There's no nothing. It's just very hot. What are we talking about today, Christina? Today, we are going to talk about post-apocalyptic stories. And first, I want to start off by separating dystopian stories from post-apocalyptic stories. Yeah. Frequently they go hand in hand. They do yeah. pair very well. Yeah, they pair very well. Some stories straddle both both kinds, both genres. But in a dystopian story, you're typically seeing things that are wholly unpleasant. Totalitarian authority. Uh, there's some kind of environmentally degraded world that the characters exist in. And the themes for a dystopian story would be something like um, authority, abuse of power, injustice, uh, freedom, and what it costs to get freedom. It has more to do with government than um, landscape. Sure, society. Um, And so examples of a dystopian story would be like The Hunger Games, uh, Handmaid's Tale, The Giver, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, V for Vendetta, The Matrix, iRobot. These are all really great examples of dystopian stories. Um, The Hunger Games actually kind of straddles both, though, I feel. Um, And and so when we we see or read a post-apocalyptic story, um, it's a time... A post-apocalyptic story is a time after a catastrophic event. So that event could be this horrendous storm that takes out half the world. It could be a war to end all wars. It could be a zombie outbreak. So many zombies. (laughs) Yes. And so post-apocalyptic themes tend to be survival, uh, what it means to start over, how does my survival tie in with other people um what are my strengths what are other people's strengths you know things like that what what does it mean to rebuild what do we want society to be like and so examples of post-apocalyptic stories and some of these we'll get into today are um basically anything with zombies so i zombie the walking dead um zombie land i am legend we have children of men War of the Worlds, the Book of Eli, which is very interesting because it's all about the preservation of stories. Um, Waterworld, 
Wally, that's a that's a good one. Battlestar Galactica, even though that's like futuristic, that's still post-apocalyptic. And then a couple more, The Last Man on Earth and Adventure Time. A lot of people Ooh. don't know that's a post-apocalyptic story. Definitely is. Post-apocalyptic stories tend to have this uh, progression of themes where you, A, need to start over, <laughs> B, build your team, figure out how to work together as a team, and then C, actually implement this new kind of society or civilization. Figure out what works for you, what, what worked in the past and what you want to preserve and what needs to stay in the past. Yeah, I think this is where a lot of post-apocalyptic stories like turn into dystopian stories. Is like mm. there's this big event and like they're like, okay, we've got a former government now, and this is where they're like, okay, totalitarianism. <laughs> this is the thing that's going to keep everybody in check because we have no time to deal with mm -hmm. like luxuries and stuff because we have limited resources and we have to be really controlled. And it makes yeah. a lot of sense at the time, and then it just mm -hmm. becomes authoritarian. Yeah, it stifles people. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think when I, something that, that um, stands out to me most in post-apocalyptic stories, probably because I resonate with it a lot, um, is the idea of starting over uh -huh. and, and hitting rock bottom and saying like, well, something has to change. Can I actually do this? Can I actually start over? Well, I guess I don't have any other option. I have to try. Yeah. And then asking, like, do I have to do this on my own or do I do this with other people? And a really good example of that, at least in, in my opinion, if we're talking about strictly post-apocalyptic stories, Zombieland is so funny. Mm -hmm. Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. So funny. Shout out to Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> they will last forever. Please sponsor us someday. There's this, there's this very clear, like, do I trust the people that I've come in contact with? We kind of have to put our backs up against each other to fight these zombies in order to survive. But do I really trust you to not get me killed? Do you really know what's up? Yeah, and you flip that over as you learn to trust someone and then they get hurt or killed mm -hmm. and then you've lost more. And yeah. there's, like, just the emotional toll of having to, like, of the byproduct of trusting someone and caring for somebody. Yeah. Is that you cannot always save them. Yeah. Ugh. So real. Because, yeah, if somebody gets bit by a zombie, they're not your friend anymore. They're not your family anymore. They're just done. And you ha that's a risk that you take when you decide to trust people. And that's the same in real life. I think I resonate with that. I want to save people so bad, but I can't. <laughs> it's not my job. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I really identify or relate to this idea of wanting to trust people so that we can all team up and, and do the thing, whatever the thing is, or survive or get better and heal, whatever, rebuild something. Um, but maybe they'll leave me. And maybe I won't be able to save them from whatever, whatever it is that comes their way that threatens their livelihood. So another post-apocalyptic narrative is within the realm of video games, Fallout. 
I don't play Fallout. I don't know a whole lot about it. But as I've been talking to people about different kinds of post-apocalyptic stories, this, this really kept coming up. You know what's interesting? As I, I also don't play video games really at all. But I saw a trailer for Fallout, mm-hmm. and I was like, I want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. And um, this ties into kind of a bigger theme of stories for me, where I think like the next mm-hmm. the next television is going to be video games. That's how people mm-hmm. are going to be telling stories in the future, and it gives mm-hmm. you that platform to tell stories. And post apocalyptic scenarios are huge in video games too. Yeah. That's true. There's there's such rich storytelling to be found in video games and learning. <laughs> there really there's an interactive quality mm-hmm. that I think we kind of all want with mm-hmm. a lot of stories to a certain degree. Like I I wish I could be part of the story. I wish I could be a character mm-hmm. in this story. Um, and you can do that with video games, especially with you know the technology that we have, like virtual reality and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Another another thing that I think about when I think of post-apocalyptic narratives is Battlestar Galactica, because you're in a place, space, <laughs> with very limited resources. Oxygen is limited. You've got limited supplies. If your ship breaks down, how do you repair it? Yeah, all these questions. And then you have Cylons, who are these really... Hmm... They're not all good. They're not all bad. We don't really know what's going on, but we need to be in control. (laughs) And in the meantime, it's very heavy on the military focus. You can't really break rank because if you do, other people's survival is on the line. And that's where forced teamwork kind of yeah. comes into play. I think a common theme is it's like things just being a matter of survival mm-hmm. and like having to fall in either fall into line or be a loner. Both of those challenge like our individualism. One because if we just fall in line, fall in rank, we tend to like there's kind of an erasure of of identity there and as a means of like as a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um as a loner, like, you'd think our individualism has, like, free reign there, mm-hmm. but there's still aspects of every person that needs other people, and I don't think mm-hmm. our our individualism can be fully recognized without other people around. Whoa, say that again. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I'm going to sit with that for a second. <laughs> Our individualism cannot be fully realized without other people around. Oh, that's a word. That was a lot of words. I can't count them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Jokes. Yeah, and that brings me to the next theme, actually, because we begin in post-apocalyptic narratives with this idea of starting over, but then you have to start over with other people in order to survive, and we need everyone's individual strengths. Everyone needs to be able to do what they do best. So everybody needs room for their individual strengths. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the theme of starting over, I think if you take yourself kind of out of the story for a second mm-hmm. as just a consumer of stories, mm-hmm. I think the idea of starting over is really appealing. Um, because mm-hmm. if we're going to flash back for a second to one of the would you rathers, mm-hmm. um, 
a lot of us have pasts that, and things that we would like to change. Um, and a lot of us look at the world as it is today and think, well, this is a dumpster fire and it sucks and I wish it would just go away and we could start over fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is like, I think why these stories are so appealing and like so popular continually that we like build a new world. Yeah. And even if the new world is like a wasteland, it's a new world with freedom to make choices. Yeah. And I was even thinking about this as we were preparing to talk about this topic that sometimes something else that's appealing about a post-apocalyptic story is this, like you said, wasteland setting. And it seems to really describe all of the intangible feelings that we have about the world at times. Like like you said, sometimes we feel like we're looking at everything going around or everything happening. Everything is like on fire. But it's kind of intangible. And you don't really know how to how to describe it or how to totally express it. But when you're looking at a post-apocalyptic story and you're looking out at this desert wasteland or some kind of aftermath of a nuclear explosion um, or there's been an outbreak, some kind of something, you're like, yeah, this makes total sense. This is exactly the state of the world. It's just made more tangible. An outer realization of the intangible problem. Keep dropping gems. There you go. Say it. Say it like that. Another thing that I think about, um, teamwork. Everyone utilizing their strengths, trying to survive. Part of survival is building a new civilization or perhaps rebuilding an old one. And and something that you said sticks out to me because you said that sometimes um, in post-apocalyptic narratives, there's this rebuilding of civilization and then it leans toward a totalitarian authority where it's just kind of like, okay, resources are minimal to none. So here are the rules. Everybody abide by the rules. And it makes a lot of sense up front, but then it ends up being oppressive. And it's interesting because everyone's individualistic strengths have to come into focus in order for this civilization to be built or rebuilt. But then sometimes there's a whole denial of those individualistic strengths with this, this totalitarian authority. Right, it goes from survival to being part of the hive and mm. being the like replaceable cog, essentially, mm. for mutual survival. Yeah, it does sometimes feel safer to kind of create this hive. Like you said, everybody's a worker bee, so, so the machine is always functioning, mm-hmm. always working. Right, but then like goes so quick like it's flip-flops from being like the good of the the individuals and the like people at large mm-hmm. to being the good of the machine or the uh, system to make sure that functions because we're relying on the system to save us mm-hmm. instead of the community it's built around right and you know I know that um post-apocalyptic narratives are 
have been pretty popular in the United States for several years, several years, especially with all of the outbreak of zombie movies, and I'm not <laughs> apologizing for that pun. I wonder, um, you know, as a culture, we really, we really favor individualism, but also there are a lot of young adults, um, adults who play teenagers, we'll say, <laughs> to be more specific, in these, in these films and in right. these stories. And so I... You know, as young people are trying to figure out their identities, do you feel like they might relate more to post-apocalyptic narratives? Yeah, I think definitely as teenagers, like, we think we've got it figured out. Mm -hmm. We think we know what's wrong and how to fix it. Mm -hmm. But we don't have any power to do so. And, like, wiping the slate clean, the, like, physical slate of the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. and putting ourselves in a place where we can, like, reimagine how society should be in putting ourselves in a a place of power, as if I'm still a teenager. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely very appealing. Yeah, and as, I don't know, it seems to be, like, I think about the Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. and when, um, spoiler alert, I know it's been out for a few years, but I'm still going to spoiler alert this, Um, there are several different people from several different districts who band together in the Hunger Games, and they all use their strengths in order to upend the system. And, and it's, and I just, and I, when I think of our specific skill sets and gifts, I think of identity. And, yeah, I just, I, I wonder if that's something else that um, appeals to, to young people, They're, where they get to shine. They get to be the best version of themselves in a way that that brings about a solution to the world. Yeah, I think I think it's actually a really great thing. I think it's very empowering. Yeah. Um, and I, like, think we as a society do a really bad job of empowering young people and, like, mm. encouraging them towards actual greatness Mm. so we say things like anyone can be president when Mm -hmm. that's just statistically untrue um (laughs) regardless of like demographics and like income like only a few people per century (laughs) are gonna be president of the Mm -hmm. united states or any other country Mm. um and like we put very drastically like disparate goals in front of people of like you're either like shooting for the top of the top mm-hmm. or you're failing mm. um whereas like we could just give people like young people better tools and maybe instead of just talking about self-esteem esteeming them well mm. instead of assuming that they're too young to understand things i think that's fair I also think that a lot of adults don't know how to do this for themselves. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> we've done a bad job for many, many years. <laughs> many, 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 many yes. years. Probably all of history. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is not post-apocalyptic, but I think of Harry Potter, and there's a lot of tension in that between mm. the kids and the teachers. 
And sometimes the like the adults are right and the kids are wrong. Sometimes the kids are right and the adults are wrong. I do appreciate that that kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. I, I do appreciate that. I don't think that all, all teenagers and kids have the just natural ability to do the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. I know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they are often underestimated. Post-apocalyptic scenarios are are one kind of genre or concentration of a broader idea of world building, mm. where you set a scene or a scenario and like mm-hmm. build out a reality from there. Yeah, and there's like there's fantasy world building, there's sci-fi, there's all kinds of like sandboxes to play in. Um, right, but like this particular one is has a kind of set rules to follow, like, there's been a disaster and there's something you've got to, like, fix or fight against that's kind of built in to this world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fascinating, just from a creative standpoint, it's just fun to, like, give yourself certain constraints, but then also, like, start with that wasteland and build something from that and see what stories um, and characters come out of it that reflect your, like, desire to to create and to heal and mm. to, I don't know, empower, really. Yeah, and they can also be used as, um, like, a catalyst. I mean, a lot of writers use setting as a character to to really push their, their main characters into situations or into growth, development, some kind of something. And um, I particularly think of... Dune, I'm not sure that I would necessarily classify it as a post-apocalyptic story. Um, I've only begun reading the book (laughs) as of this podcast recording, and I haven't seen any of the movies. I've heard things about them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, if you're not familiar with Dune, the the setting um, for the main characters in the book is um, they're, they're, they're on a planet where there's a water shortage. And each drop, each literal drop of water has to be conserved. And it's really interesting to watch people who haven't had to conserve water because of their background, maybe they were more affluent, um, get put into this scenario where they have to think about it all the time. There's a completely new awareness that they need to have in order to survive, in order to assimilate into this community. And, it, I mean, not even just survive their their circumstances, but survive the people who are after them, who are trying to take their lives. Yeah, I, I think about how sometimes these, these this world building also gives us more room for for characters to have to overcome yeah the setting really like i think the post apocalyptic setting specifically forces a, a writer a creator characters to um identify things that are important and mm-hmm. not just important but that need to be preserved um yeah because of the nature of survival and like the way that things get stripped away mm-hmm. because you're just trying to survive 
certain mm-hmm. important things that are not essential to life will get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think of the book of Eli where they're like actually preserving stories. Like yeah. at the end, you find out his entire purpose was to save a book. And it's like, it makes you really step back and think, it's kind of that like desert island game. Like mm-hmm. what luxury item would you take or want with you if you're stranded on a desert island? Mm-hmm. But building a whole world around that, that concept. time we have an episode we talk about some kind of story element that's really stuck with us recently that we can't stop thinking about and right now I'm reading a book called Understanding the Psychology of Romance and the book really goes through the idea of western romance and how it evolved from the story of Tristan and Isolde. I don't know a whole lot about this story I know that there was a movie that came out with James Franco years back. And I, you know, again, have heard things about that movie. (laughs) I think I saw it. I can't remember what I saw. And that tells you something about the movie. Um, but yeah, this, this book that I'm reading right now will go through segments of the story of the lore at a time and then kind of break down the implications for how different ideas of love were sewn into the mindset of the West and the idea of romance evolved from there, but that not everything that we believe about romance is true. And it's not always healthy. And so one part that I'm consistently thinking about recently is um, this moment. Tristan um, accidentally takes some poison. And the poison is a mixture of love and death. And so he feels both at the same time. And so he's tormented by this intense feeling of love that he feels for the first person that he sees, which is Isolde. And and I think we often, in Western thinking toward romance, feel like romance and torture have to go hand in hand, or love and torture have to go hand in hand. And... Um, it's just not necessarily true. And I, I've just been thinking about that. I've been thinking about how we don't have to lay our health or our entire selves down at the foot of someone else for those things to lay waste or whatever. It, I mean, there, there's a whole lot of vitality to healthy love. I've been thinking... So, since Christina's been in town and we've been hanging out, which <laughs> is a thing that happens way too infrequently. Maybe once every days. six months yeah. now. <laughs> which is very infrequent compared to, you know, being in college together. Um, That's true. There's this, it's a little outside of what, like, the, what we normally talk about as far as stories go, but I'm thinking about our personal narratives. Hmm. Um, and the fact that you and I have 
inside jokes that we don't even know are inside jokes anymore. They're just part of how we talk to each other and how we communicate. Mm. And then when I'm interacting with you in front of people who don't know us together, who know me or yeah. someone who knows you, mm-hmm. I find I have to explain, kind of basically tell our story to a certain degree. I'm thinking about how our, our, our personal narratives, the way we tell our own stories, are definitely subjective and are meant to illustrate a certain image of ourselves or our friendships. Mm-hmm. Without necessarily the intent to deceive, but with the intent to communicate something specific that might leave out a different detail. Um, mm. And how that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just a thing to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it really enjoyable to hear people tell their own stories and also kind of witness their stories from other people's perspective. When people see me interacting with you, they see just more of me than they've experienced before. Mm, um, I like that. And that's just a fun, I don't know, fun thing of life, I guess, mm-hmm. that different pe- different people bring out different parts of our story True. and our personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's good to have that broader interaction with people and have, like, friend groups overlap. I like it. <laughs> I'm glad you like it, because um, I hate it when my spheres collide. <laughs> I That's messy. I can't do that. <laughs> no, I am constantly just bringing my, my groups of friends together, because I want them all to be done in one place. Oh my gosh, that sounds like chaos <laughs> to me. I can't. <laughs> it, it, can, it can be messy, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us and listening to So Story. You can find me, Christina, online on Instagram. My handle is c.l.you. You can find me, Jenny, also on Instagram. And my handle is jlfehr. Uh, I also have a Medium page, Christina from the Midwest. Be free. <laughs> yeah, how do we end this? <laughs> Every week. Every time we try to do something, we can't end it. <laughs>